Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is another edition of Comfort's Corner, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the transit industry. And today is no exception. We've got a power pack show for you today with headline news, basically covering the impact of the new $30 billion transit rescue package, which came out of Congress as part of the $1.9 trillion COVID relief package. We'll tell you all about that and how some of the city, some of the cities in the uh, parts of America are going to respond to that. And then, of course, we have a great newsmaker interview with Mr. Christian Kent, an old friend of mine who is one of the nation's leaders in paratransit services for people with disabilities. Christian is the uh, former assistant general manager of the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority and currently has his own consulting firm and is chairman of the Access Committee for APTA, the American Public Transit Association. We'll tell you about the impact of COVID-19 uh, on paratransit. We haven't covered that too much in depth. And of course, that's a, um, a service which is near and dear to all of our hearts. And then we're going to take a look at the future public transportation on uh, this week of March 17th and tell you about the trip that I'm taking down south where we're going to start advocating for transit across the southeastern United States. All that on this episode of Transit Unplugged. And now for a look at our headline news. For nearly a year, the New York Times tells us public transportation systems across the country have teetered on the edge of a financial cliff as the pandemic starved transit agencies of riders and revenues and threatened to decimate service. But those systems and the people that rely on them have been pulled from their worst crisis in decades by the sweeping $1.9 trillion stimulus package, which includes $30.5 billion for transit agencies, the largest single infusion of federal aid public transportation has ever received. You'll recall that uh, earlier last year, we had the $25 billion CARES Act. And then in December, the Christmas present for the transit industry, especially larger agencies, came in the $14 billion CRISA Act. And now in March of 2021, public transit has received one more large tranche of funds. Transit leaders from New York to Washington to San Francisco quickly announced that they would shelve plans for deep service cuts and restore some train and bus service. New York's transit agency said that it would begin ramping up service on its commuter rail lines, which have really suffered in ridership. Washington said that it would keep open nearly two dozen stations that it had considered closing this next year, and Amtrak announced that it would restore daily service on 12 of its 15 long distance routes. You may have heard that Amtrak, in addition to the $30.5 billion that goes to transit agencies, Amtrak got an additional $1.5 billion lifeline. Paul Smedberg, chairman of the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, Wamata, remarked, Congress has once again stepped up to address the needs of Metro and the regional transit systems that will be critical to our region's economic recovery. The large infusion of funds uh, reflects a concerted effort for our nation's transit leaders and elected officials to revitalize the country's transportation systems, many of which faced shaky finances and crumbling infrastructure before the pandemic hit. And of course, now the next big piece of legislation that the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress are working to push through is a multi-trillion dollar infrastructure spending plan, which is also likely to include support for public transit, though the details have not yet been worked out. So lots of, um, this was a great quote I thought by Ben Freed, spokesman for the Transit Center. He said, the mortal threat to transit agencies basically comes to an end with the passage of this bill. But, and there's always a but, right? There's still a lot of risk and uncertainty, he says, down the line. But it's not going to be in the same massive scale that we were talking about as recently as a month or two ago. Still, transportation experts warn that while federal aid offers transit agencies some immediate respite, 
The stable revenue sources the agencies tend to rely on, state and local subsidies along with fares, will likely remain suppressed for years to come. State and local governments are facing their own economic challenges. While ridership will likely not rebound to pre-pandemic levels anytime soon, as many employers continue to allow remote work, nationwide ridership has plateaued at about 40% in recent months, according to the American Public Transportation Association. So um, you, you, you know that things, you know, while we have some federal aid here, uh, it's not going to solve all the problems. Another major city, Boston, said it might revisit plans to cut commuter rail service by 11% and end weekend service on seven commuter lines and suspend nine bus routes. And um, with lawmakers in a rush to distribute emergency aid last spring, the first federal stimulus package provided funds to transit agencies that resulted in less support for larger systems than smaller agencies, according to some transit experts. They tried to recover from that, in, as I mentioned, in the December uh, tranche of funds, the $14 billion that came in. And um, so there's still uh, Patrick Foy, the uh, chairman of the Metropolitan Transportation Authority in New York City, said now there is a 100% certainty that we're bringing back 24-hour subway service, and that'll be great. But the agency, which has endured the biggest financial losses of any system in the country, and they are the largest, still faces a $1.5 billion operating shortfall through 2024 and a commuting culture that may look far different even after the pandemic ends. And this is what I've been talking about a lot lately. And on this trip I'm going to do through the Southeast, I'm meeting with, I think, six major transit systems and speaking to many of their uh, top leadership. And I'll be talking about uh, the, the way that transit agencies now are kind of reprioritizing what they're going to do. They're bringing on new service patterns and uh, new service types like microtransit and mobility as a service. Major employers expect, get this, that over half of office employees will continue to work remotely at least part of the time in the coming years. That's according to a survey released by the Partnership for New York City. Catherine Wilde, the president of the partnership, said the standardized nine to five commute into a central business district, that pattern has been broken. I think that's a great quote and a great way to describe it. And transit officials across the country and across the world are already beginning tinkering with schedules to fit the new ridership patterns, such as adding trains during rush hours that now begin earlier in the morning and afternoon, a reflection of the work schedules of essential workers who still compose the bulk of current ridership. Subway ridership has remained at 30% of pre-pandemic levels in New York, while bus ridership is around 40%. On the Long Island Railroad, the MTA has replaced some express service, which caters to suburban white-collar office workers with more local trains that service riders who live near stations, usually bypassed by express service. The agency is also exploring new fare structures aimed at office workers who will not return to offices five days a week and may not want to buy monthly passes. So they're contextualizing some of their multi-use offers. That's it for our look at headline news. Stay tuned for a great interview with Christian Kent. And at the end of today's show, a look at my upcoming road trip through the southeastern United States. On today's Comfort's Corner, part of the Transit Unplugged family. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. In the last several episodes, I've been talking about the leading social media platforms and how transit organizations can get the most out of them. So far, we've covered Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, which leaves us with the platform I think is best all around for transit, Twitter. Now, Twitter is not perfect for everyone. 
Smaller agencies might not find they have either enough news to make it worthwhile to post to Twitter or enough writers and other stakeholders who are on the platform. And using Twitter well can definitely be challenging. It's a really big commitment to keep up with all that goes on in the Twitterverse, not to mention how difficult it can be to keep your brand integrity tight as you're trying to keep up. But where Twitter is excellent for transit is in how quickly the platform posts news. That instant hit of information is exactly what people are looking for when they check out Twitter, which is mostly on their phones and when they're on the go. That means that Twitter is a fantastic place to post service updates and all the other last-minute, must-know information that your public demands. Additionally, if that's the way you begin using Twitter for your organization and you develop a following, you then have the opportunity to build your organization's brand by developing a unique voice on the platform, using consistent visual branding and creating real conversations with your audience. SEPTA, the Southeastern Pennsylvania Public Transit Agency, and STM in Montreal are transit organizations that excel at using Twitter well. If you'd like to talk more about Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, or anything else related to communications and public transit, look me up on my favorite social media platform, LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. Thanks for being with us today on Comfort's Corner, Transit Unplugged, where we bring you the inside story on what's happening around the transit industry from the newsmakers themselves. And today I'm excited to have with us on our newsmaker hotline, a good friend of mine, Christian Kent, who's a principal with Christian T. Kent Transit Management Consulting, LLC, calling in from Virginia Beach, my hometown. Christian, thanks so much for being with us today on Transit Unplugged. My pleasure. Yeah. Christian and I go way back from when we were young lads, don't we, Christian? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, Where did we first meet? Do you remember? I met you um, when I was working uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, I was with a company um, called Dave Transportation, and it was purchased by Laidlaw. And when Laidlaw came in, there was this dynamic go-getter sales guy named Paul Comfort, who was taking over the world one contract at a time. And uh, he was in that he, he was in that region with me. So we, uh, we uh, you know, we, we, we crossed paths that fateful day back in, uh, I think it was 1997. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say probably around 25 years ago, something like that. So yeah, that's yeah. something. And then we worked together more recently when you were assistant general manager at the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. And I worked as a contractor there with MV uh, as the operations manager. And you, uh, you led that organization to great success, Christian. Congratulations on the great work you did. That's the fourth largest paratransit system in America at the time, I think, with about 8,000 trips a day and uh, working together along with some other folks there like Leland Peterson and others. We were able to get uh, our on-time performance up to contractual standards for two years 92% and also our AFR, accident frequency rate, under two preventable accidents per 100,000 miles for two years. So thank you so much for the opportunity to allow me to work there when I did and for your leadership in the, in the, uh, in the agency. 
well, you know, you brought a lot to the table as you're still doing. Um, you know, that was a labor of love uh, uh, at WMATA. And I can say that uh, uh, it was successful because it was a team effort. Um, you know, I remember uh, one occasion in particular with you where we were talking about how to define good performance and you had brought uh, some, some information to the table uh, on uh, national performance indicators and norms that we could use as benchmarks. Yes. Um, and that was that that brought a lot of credibility to um, uh, to the data that we were putting out to say, you know, not only this is how we believe that we are performing, but this is how we stack up against uh, other agencies around the country. And uh, that was definitely a team effort. But you were you were a tremendous asset to us. And I was very happy to work with you again. You. <laughs> how, how long were you there? How many years were you there at WMATA? Well, I may have set a record. Um, as an executive at WMATA, the 10 years are not always terribly long. Um, I was there for 13 years. So, um, you know, they, they, uh, they let me stay a lot longer than, uh, than, than is often the case. But we went through quite an evolution there in paratransit. I mean, it yep. was, I, when I got there, it was, it was a manual, it was a manual uh, operation with 4,500 trips a day. And when I left, um, you know, it, it had peaked at 10,000 right, 10, a day. So, you know, a lot of change. Yeah. So um, after you left there, you started your own consulting firm. And what, does you, what do you do at your consulting firm? Well, you know, it's been great. Um, you know, I have had the, the blessing of being able to take the years of working in paratransit and take that uh, experience beyond just one location, which is obviously when you're working, you know, on a property, it's hard to do that. And so there's a lot of consulting on paratransit issues. And in particular, not, you know, it's not the kind of consulting that was probably done 10, 20 years ago, where it was simply how do we get into compliance with the regs? Right. And how how do we improve the performance and how do we work with a contractor? I mean, it's 30 years old now. And so the perspective on paratransit today uh, is a lot different. It's okay, well, does the model even still work? Um, you know, how, and the regs haven't changed. So the issue is how do we not run afoul of the regs while coming up with new business models that work better for the customer, um, that are less costly, um, you know, and, and also, frankly, um, that, that leverage new technologies that are out there that, that frankly, just, you know, uh, uh, they're, they're becoming prolific. You're seeing them everywhere, but not every agency uh, is comfortable making a leap from the way that they've been operating to something that, you know, is, is uh, just so different and new. But that's where the consultants come in say, okay, why don't you analyze this for us? Tell us what's out there and let us take the opportunity to see what we like and what we might be able to adopt. That's great. So uh, that's what I wanted to talk about today is some about paratransit and where mm -hmm. it's at in this era of COVID and hopefully headed into a post-COVID era. Where mm -hmm. is it right now? What would you, you know, paratransit for those that are, that are uninitiated is uh, you know personalized transportation for people with disabilities, or as our friend Robbie Mackinnon likes to call them, people with diverse abilities. Um, but what is the state of the paratransit industry right now in March of 2021? Well, you know, as I was saying, it's not the same model that's been in place since the ADA was passed. Um, ridership has dropped during the COVID. Um, uh, uh, you know, era, I guess you could call it, but not 
at the, in the same proportion as fixed root. So, I mean, obviously, uh, there's there's a there's a pretty clear reason for that, which is the people who use paratransit, the vast majority are using it for medical purposes. Even though the service doesn't discriminate about why you use it, you can use it for any reason that you like. Uh, ADA paratransit's a civil right, um, so you can't discriminate against uh, trip purpose, but. But the vast majority, I'd say 60, 60 plus percent of the, of the trips are going to fall in a medical category. So they're essential. The customers still have to do that, you know, whether, uh, you know, whether or not uh, uh, there are uh, changing environmental conditions, they still have to go see their doctors and have their procedures. So the ridership has dropped somewhat, but it's still there. And the, the issue really now is that because the ridership drop on fixed route has been so pronounced that agencies realize that, well, you know, whatever we do with fixed route, so goes paratransit. Because paratransit, by the ADA definition, is a complement to the fixed route system. So people have started asking questions like, well, if we eliminate fixed routes, then what happens to the paratransit service area? Do we, do we pull that service back? And of course, the community says, well, if you do that, we don't have any alternatives, so please don't do that. Um, then there are a number of systems that have said, you know, gosh, fare collection makes no sense because we spend more money, uh, you know, collecting up the cash than we do in bringing in revenue. So maybe we should be free fare. Well, if fixed route is free fare, then paratransit also has to be free fare. So we're talking about a lot of policy issues here. The thing that I find kind of interesting is that even with the, uh, uh, you know, some of the terrible effects that COVID has had on our society, when we're challenged in transit, that's often sometimes where the greatest innovation comes because people are starting to look at public transit more holistically. And they're saying, can we provide service to paratransit customers without necessarily limiting that service to paratransit? Can we create on-demand services that serve all the constituencies? Which ironically was what ADA had in mind to begin with. <laughs> you know, it was really supposed to be make everything accessible, not you know keep this wonderful paratransit service so that people with disabilities never use fixed routes. Quite the opposite. So I think the industry is converging on you know more of a solution that fits everybody, and That's the technology is really fueling that. That's right. That mobility on demand technology, exactly. uh, micro transit, mobility as a service, all these things. We should also mention that you are chair of APTA's access committee and have been that way for a couple of years now. And uh, um, so you are helping to kind of guide the conversation for our whole industry in the United States. Well, yes, it's true, because APTA is not having as many in-person meetings, so we're spending a lot of time putting out webinars and information uh, virtually for people to, you know, stay in touch. Yeah. One of the other changes that you mentioned to me that you've noticed is that some paratransit providers are rethinking their eligibility processes in light of the in-person assessments being impractical during COVID. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, yes, it's it's it was ironic. We were right in the middle. One of the one of the consulting uh, tasks that I'd had was to say, let's revisit eligibility to make sure that the process examines each applicant to make sure that we've not overlooked places where they could use fixed route transit or some alternative. Um, many of those processes across the country 
started so long ago when paratransit was a small uh, operation for them. Um, and so the eligibility process was was more passive, you know, just fill out our application. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, we know we know your situation. Welcome aboard. Um, and, and as the service has grown, uh, people are saying, well, gosh, first of all, uh, you know, we have more than one service to offer. Did you even know about that? Um, that's one of the things we did at WMATA. We set it up more as like a travel agent. You apply for eligibility and we tell you, well, okay, so where do you live and where are you trying to go? And then we give them these lists of other services that, you know, some of them were free when paratransit was not um, and is still not in many cases um, and where advanced reservation is not required. You want to travel spontaneously. I mean, people with disabilities do not want to be in a separate category. They want full access to what everybody else gets. So eligibility processes were changing for that reason. And the consultation's great if you can do it in person. But then, then COVID came. So we went back and we've really just shown uh, how that process can be done uh, either virtually, uh, you know, over, over a Zoom type situation or, or just simply over the phone. At the end of the day, I mean, obviously it'd be great if we could all be together, but we've had to adapt. As long as that consultation occurs, you can still get what you're looking for out of eligibility. That's good. One of the other kind of teeing off on something you mentioned earlier is that transit agencies are engaging in targeted transportation services for contemporary needs, such as transportation to healthcare facilities for COVID testing and vaccines. How is this trend um, is merging with fixed route and paratransit constituents and kind of creating this hybrid transportation model that could be more accessible for everyone? Can you just share a little bit more on that? Yeah, it's interesting. I was reading um, uh, an old book about paratransit that had been written in the 70s, when they were talking about how they recognized that fixed route transit was, was not meeting all the needs at the time. And so they started piloting what they were at the time calling paratransit was very different from what, what we're offering today. Uh, it was more like the microtransit that has become very popular now, where you create a, a quasi fixed route service that is that exists for a particular purpose, like people who need to get to a facility to get their COVID vaccine or a test, or people who need to get their prescription drugs. And you say, you know, okay, we we realize that you know we probably cannot necessarily. Uh, assume that the existing fixed route structure that we have is going to meet that need. So we're going to create a service where, like microtransit, where we're going to collect a group of people in an area and take them to a facility and then, you know, individually return them uh, in more of an on-demand fashion, but yet still grouped, much like what we try to do with fixed route transit. And as that happens, it's interesting, the people who use those services are often, uh, they would probably also be eligible for paratransit service, but if they don't have to go through the process to become a paratransit customer just to go get a COVID vaccine, when the transit agency has now set up something specifically for that purpose, they can just jump on the service and get it. And so what, what's happening is, you know, that is technically a non-ADA paratransit service, but people who use paratransit could take advantage of it. So the constituencies are merging 
because what we're finding is, is that people with and without disabilities have a lot in common when it comes to their transportation needs. We all need medical treatment. We all have certain essential trips we have to make. Why not create mechanisms that, that, that promote shared rides um, and don't have to have the cost uh, and, and frankly, you know, just the complexity of ADA paratransit? One of the things I think you and I would agree on is that uh, leaders in the paratransit industry have some of the most demanding and challenging jobs of anyone, whether it's fixed route, rail, uh, you know, commuter services, paratransit is so diverse. Uh, have you seen that uh, you also run as part of your consulting business, a recruiting business, I understand. I and in, in that role, wearing that hat, have you seen an increase in the marketability of those with paratransit backgrounds for leadership roles beyond that, even in, you know, being GMs of transit systems? I have, and I feel so vindicated because I have said, and I know you have too for years, that paratransit's difficult. So if you have the skill set to deal with individual customers, you have the communication skills, conflict resolution, you can manage through data, um, you can customize approaches um, and, and invent things, you know, because paratransit, we always had to create our own teams. We had to train them specially because they were not plentiful uh, at the beginning of the ADA. Um, and they're being selected now uh, to take on big roles in the industry, COO, CEOs. I love when I see a paratransit person become a CEO. And, you know, I remember fondly your tenure uh, as CEO at the MTA in Baltimore. And I was like, you know what? The blessing of Paul's experience is going to be just so excellent for that system. And, and true to form, you went there and you, 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 made, you made the system much more visible. You gave it a lot more attention and there was a real effect. Um, and I love seeing that and I hope it keeps happening. I'm Thank certainly you. promoting it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I think it's a good skill set. Tell me about movement of leadership positions on the rise, along with the willingness of candidates to relocate now that COVID parameters are better understood. Yeah, you know, in 2020, we, you know, when in the recruiting business, we were still placing people, but there was a bit of hesitancy because people weren't sure how things were going to turn out. Um, you know, they, the, the quarantines were, were much more sobering at that time. Um, businesses were trying to figure out what their long-term plans were going to be. People were more hesitant to say, you know, if I shift right now, I might, you know, the ground might come out, you know, from under me. But I think now that people are accustomed to, uh, you know, certainly that you, you can continue to do business while wearing your mask, uh, that there are protocols where you can continue to work uh, you know, with some adjustments and that life is going on. Um, you know, we're starting to hear from people where, you know, people, the agencies are starting to say, we got positions we need to fill and we don't need to wait any longer. We, we've had enough, uh, you know, analysis paralysis on COVID from last year. 2021 is going to be the year that we start to move ahead and people are moving, you know, people are saying, yeah, this is, I want to advance my career. I, I think I've waited long enough. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that. That's wonderful. Well, listen, if you, uh, if folks, if you want to know more about uh, Christian Kent's ideas about the future of public transportation, you can get a copy of our book with the same title where Christian wrote the chapter on the future of paratransit in our industry. And that is in the book, The Future of Public Transportation, available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, or you can go to Christian's website, christiankentconsulting.com, 
uh, where Christian has lots of information there available for you. And I'm sure we'd be happy to help you if you need more help. Christian, thank you so much for being our guest today on Comforts Corner. We wish you the best as you continue to lead our industry to help the most vulnerable clients that we serve in the transit industry improve the customer experience that they have. Well, thank you so much, Paul. It's great to be with you. Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director for Terra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about mentorship, leadership, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. In this month of March, we're reminded of a few anniversaries pertaining to COVID-19. March 11, 2020 was when it was first officially declared a pandemic, and it was also in March of 2020, where most of us can remember the first implications associated to traveling and the incredible challenges that would be ahead of us all in the year to come. However, March 2020 was also the first inaugural Mike's Minute here on Transit Unplugged, so I'd like to celebrate that for a moment. Thank you all for listening, the feedback, and most of all for helping keep kindness cool. The intent was to emphasize the difference a random act of kindness can have in someone's life and remind us all that it can be as simple as starting with a thanks, acknowledging and appreciating the people around you. So on that note, I wanted to end today with another important date that's upon us. Thursday, March 18th this week is Transit Operator and Worker Appreciation Day. Roughly a year after the first lockdowns, be sure to make an effort to thank those incredible individuals that have kept transit and our communities running safely. They all have families too, and during this year, have selflessly continued to provide essential service for the countless individuals who rely on transit. I would also challenge you to make an effort this Thursday to hop on a bus in your community and personally say thanks to an operator. It will truly be appreciated. Thanks for listening. Kindness is cool. Have a great day. Join us April 26 to 28 for virtual Think Transit. This three-day conference will feature powerful keynote sessions from industry leaders, live demos of our new and innovative solutions, and takeaway resources you'll be able to apply at your transit agency. You'll network with over 500 professionals and learn industry trends, all from the comfort of your home or office. Registration is now open. Visit trapezegroup.com slash thinktransit to register today. enjoyed the episode of Comfort's Corner so far today. I've had a great look at headline news, the $30.5 billion rescue package coming out of Washington and its impact on some major transit agencies, but still the look to the future, right? And how transit's going to look different as we now come out of this COVID pandemic, hopefully. That's what I'm about to talk to you today, which is uh, I'm actually going to be on my first road trip. As you know, I've kept a heavy schedule prior to COVID and the, the book tour for my book, The Future of Public Transportation was canceled. The book was published in March after it was on Amazon went to number one. We had one event and then we had to cancel the rest. But I have been able to speak uh, over 70 times now at transit agencies and events and conferences around the world about the topic of the future of public transportation. Part of the reason why we started this Comforts Corner podcast was to talk about how are we going to adapt for the future? Well, that's what I plan to talk about in the coming eight days as I do a road trip down Route I-95 from Washington, D.C. to Palm Beach, Florida, and talk to transit leaders about what does the future of public transportation look like and celebrate the transit agencies and our frontline workers for the work they have done to become really heroes of the, of the pandemic age. 
So on Tuesday, March 16th, uh, I, along with KJ Reynolds, my colleague, will be meeting in Richmond with the GRTC staff, Julie Tim, the CEO, talking about the future of public transportation and um, touring their operations. And then we'll be meeting with uh, the UserV group. John Donlin's the CEO there. They're one of the up-and-coming bright new stars in our a tapestry of mobility providers on the private contractor side as they brought in kind of like an Uber model to help serve paratransit and non-emergency medical transportation um, clients uh, to make sure that even during this era of COVID, people are able to get safe, efficient, reliable transit and mobility to uh, the needs that they have. Then we'll be going down to Chapel Hill and on Wednesday, the 17th, um, St. Patrick's Day, we'll be meeting with Brian Litchfield, Transit Director for the Town of Chapel Hill. I'll be recording him for the podcast, and uh, we'll be also talking with staff about the future of public transportation. Then I'll be headed on to Charleston for Thursday, March 18th, where I'll be participating in Transit Driver Appreciation Day activities there with some of the drivers that work with Transdav at CARTA. And then on Friday, I'm excited to roll into Jacksonville Transit Authority, where I'll be participating in a ribbon cutting uh, for the vaccine bus at Reigns High School at 10 a.m. that morning with Nat Ford, the CEO. This is the opportunity that he has uh, been able to participate in actually bringing the vaccine through their transit system to communities in the Jacksonville area. Then I'll be uh, recording with Nat Ford uh, for the podcast and then touring the facility and spending the afternoon out at their autonomous vehicle location. And during this whole time, I'll be um, kind of broadcasting, although it's not really broadcasting, but sharing here on LinkedIn, both on my page and on the Trapeze Group's page. I'm doing one of those social media takeovers for a week, sharing pictures and video and content from what we're learning and what we're sharing at these locations. And then uh, the following week, Monday, we'll be headed down to Palm Tran, meeting with Clinton Forbes and uh, interviewing him for the podcast. They've got a brand new facility in Delray. Hopefully I get a chance to tour that and talk about um, them potentially uh, will continuing to serve their community in even new ways using high-tech approaches to that. And then on Tuesday, our final day of the trip, I'll be meeting with the Palm Beach Transportation Planning Agency. Uh, Valerie Nielsen there has helped connect everything up and uh, having lunch with officials there and teaching a online class, uh, which will be live and live streamed. And if you tune into uh, my LinkedIn page, Call Comfort, you'll be able to see a link to that, I think, so you can listen as well if you'd like to see it, and then some Q&A and a book signing. So, and there's a few other things that I think will be added on along the trip, but those are the highlights. Hopefully, you're able to follow us on the Travelog on, um, on Trapeze Group's uh, webpage or LinkedIn page, sorry, and my LinkedIn page as well. And um, stay safe out there as we continue to shine the light on public transportation, our drivers, and on the solutions that we offer to ensure that mobility is available to all, even as we now hopefully are coming out of this over a year in the post-pandemic age. Thanks so much for always tuning in to us here every Wednesday on Transit Unplugged. If it's Wednesday, it's Transit Unplugged. <laughs>